Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 42, Blessings and Curses, recorded Thursday, May 29th of 2014, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I am Brandon. And he didn't even have a snarky comment this time. I know. You want to go back and redo it? Where's the real Brandon and what have you done with him? (laughs) I have a snarky comment, but it would have spoiled my announcement. Oh, okay. Well, should we go straight into that then? Yes. Announce. (laughs) Announce, good sir. All right. I finished a book in like two days. Wow. Not bad. Yeah. It is the 29th. We are recording this. May 29th. Last night, on the 28th, I finished the new book of The Dresden Files, Skin Games, which was released on the 27th, so I finished it in one day. Not bad. The bad news is, probably got another year or two until he releases the next one. Ah, yes. The favorite (sighs) author dilemma. Do I want to read this slowly because there won't be another one for a year, or do I want to devour this because it's awesome? Oh, I want to devour it because it's awesome. And I have to say this, it's an awesome book. Everyone should read it, Peter. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. Your desire to have me read the Dresden Files is duly noted. (laughs) If it helps, eh. It does, actually. Thank you. (laughs) All right, you're welcome. We've got some other stuff in here. When this episode drops, I will just be getting back from Fear the Con 7. In fact, I will have actually gotten back from Fear the Con 7 two days prior. So two episodes from now, I'll probably have some interesting things to say about that. However, the very next episode that we record is going to be the first one that I am not on that gets released because I will be at Fear the Con when it's being recorded. And you torpedoed the last one that we recorded. Yeah. Yeah, you'll notice I said that was released. Yeah, you're assuming, of course, that Brandon and I can actually somehow manage to record without you, which has never happened. It's happened. You have a guest host coming. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we'd better pull this together. You have a very interesting guest host coming. Yeah, we'd better pull this together. All right. (laughs) We recorded without him. He just got so jealous that he canceled it. Yes, that's totally what happened. Yeah, it wasn't totally a unanimous agreement that this episode is not one we want to release. That was utterly not the thing. Yeah. (laughs) I stand behind everything I said in that episode. All right. So, Peter, I assume that you had an awesome time at Fear the Con 7. I do, too, because when I went to uh, 3 and 6, I had great times both right. times. So. If we're releasing these things in order, and I have no reason to assume we won't, this is going to be episode number 42. <laughs> and as somebody who was a child of the 80s and 90s, it's obligatory to do some sort of Douglas Adams reference. But it's also occurred to me that The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was published in 1979, which makes it 35 years old. Just a little bit older than me. It's a little bit younger than me. Yeah. It's very possible that some of our listeners have not read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, in lieu of any jokes about towels and Vogon poetry and other things you won't get, just go read those books again. Or go read them for the first time. See, Grant, now now you've put me in a dilemma. Because I am the one who edits. And so I have a choice now of hammering out this one and releasing it as 41, 
and putting my glorious episode as 42. I mean, listen, ruining continuity would be appropriately <laughs> Douglas Adams-like with his five-part trilogy, but, you know. But seriously, it's a foundation of modern geeky humor. It's remarkably timeless. Go read it. You really should. You'll get, like, half of everything thereafter. And if Brandon releases this out of order, Grant and I will drive to uh, Maryland with poking sticks and make his life miserable for half an hour. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will defend myself with Vogon poetry. <laughs> I'll bring earplugs just in case. Probably wise. All right. By the time this drops, we are going to probably have participated or otherwise been involved with a new Christian geek crossover podcast called the Crossover Nexus. You can hear it at crossovernexus.com. There's a large Christian geek community that's kind of gotten behind it. The folks at Game Store Profits, Sci-Fi Christian, Geekwilly Yoked, a number of other podcasts. So go out there and check them out. We're going to be participating in that. And I don't know if I'm going to have the blurb on it at the end of this episode or not, but you may start hearing a blurb about that. They are pretty cool folks, and it's a good central clearinghouse for all of those podcasts, as well as new crossover roundtable podcast, sort of like the RPG roundtable that some of us managed to do before it withered and died on the vine, which will be a reference we'll talk about later. It's a cool project that we're getting involved in. It seems like it has the potential to be really neat. They've got one episode out already that is interesting in a lot of different ways. Had me thinking about some things that I normally don't think about because I'm not a movie guy and it was like all movie people. It's kind of funny. So, Well, and I can always use more geeky Christian podcasts to listen to because, you know. Yeah. No argument here. All right. Shall we do our scripture? Yes. Excellent. Just a note, folks. If this is the first episode you're tuning into, this is a lot more scripture than we usually tack on at the front of the episode. But we actually had the good fortune tonight to pick a topic that is referenced a lot in scripture. So we're going to take advantage of it. Yes. Okay. So the first one that I wanted to start with here was Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And now we have Psalm 109, 6-15. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. And we have Joshua 6.26. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. Next one is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 29. 
See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. And then we have Mark 11, 12 through 14, and 20 through 25. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. The next morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So, you may have picked up that our topic tonight is blessings and curses. This is one of those things where we, despite having five pieces of scripture that we just read, there's quite a lot in the Bible about it, for reasons we'll get into. But I wanted to start off talking, first of all, about what a blessing and a curse really are in a scriptural sense. I kind of want you to correct me on this if you think I'm wrong, but my interpretation of it, just from reading through things today and yesterday, is that really, when we're talking about blessings and curses, in a scriptural sense, they're a form of miracle. They're the direct intervention of God to punish and reward, usually called down on someone through prayer to God, uh, called down by someone else. Not always. You'll, uh, there's a few instances where it's not. Yeah, sometimes it's offered directly by God. Right, as with Abram, for example. But typically someone else, as we heard in the psalm, David praying for God to curse his enemies, things like that. In the Old Testament, you typically see these invoked as a reward for following God's law and a punishment for departing from it. In the New Testament, you have the same idea of punishment and reward, but it's naturally less strictly tied to Jewish law and made somewhat more universal. You'll see them affect anything from a single creature, like a fig tree, or a single person, to an entire nation, like Egypt, when Moses was being called to lead the Israelites out of slavery. As we said, they're very common in the Old Testament. They tend to have long-term effects— lasting generations in many times. Some are even purported to be permanent. Sure. They also sometimes have immediate effects that don't last very long, but that's not too common. You talk about how they're long-lasting. Would you count smiting as a curse? Because I know there are plenty of times in the Old Testament where people just got smoked. I think the nature of a curse is necessarily that it's lingering. I wouldn't call Sodom and Gomorrah God cursing those places. I'd call it God destroying those places. A curse tends to be a lingering effect and punishment. It seems to be more about misery than destruction a lot of the time. So the person who, when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant out improperly, and it started to fall, and a guy put his hand up to rest it, and thus broke the thing and touched the Ark and fell down dead, that is not a curse. 
that is something else? You know, that's a good question. There's really not a lot of hard and fast definitions in Scripture. Yeah. That may have been a curse. It's a punishment for disobeying the law. Yeah. So I think you could probably count that in. They don't tend to be things that are that immediate, but you may have referenced one of the exceptions there. Well, like, and the other one that I have in my mind was Onan, who spilled his seed upon the ground and Mm -hmm. was struck down because of it. You know, I'm not sure. I don't want to pretend to be an authority on that. We are lay people and not ordained ministers with degrees in theology, so I want to be a little careful here. Yeah, I do too. It could be, but I think in the context in which we're going to talk about it mostly through here, we're talking about long-term effects. Peter, you brought up the idea of punishment for breaking God's law. That's kind of the theme that I've seen throughout Scripture when we're talking about it. In fact, the bit from Deuteronomy where I was reading about blessings being proclaimed on Mount Gerizel and the curses on Mount Ebal, those are directly related to the law. This is what immediately follows in Deuteronomy. It's a a list of blessings on those who follow God's law in particular ways and curses on those who break it in particular ways. Yeah, that's about where I am in my Old Testament part of my scripture plan right now. Right. The list goes on for quite some time. Yeah. Both lists do. Oh, yeah. That's actually why I bogged down when I was trying to read the Bible as a a young man. I think I hit numbers and just couldn't make it past. A little bit of an aside on reading scripture here. Bear with me. If I was just reading it straight through, I think I would have had the same problem. I'm using a Bible plan through that Uversion app that gives me a chunk of the Old Testament, part of Psalms, some Proverbs, and some of the New Testament to read every day. Oh, that's nice. So I get kind of a variety of different scripture stuff. So when you're reading some of the more boring and tedious parts of the Old Testament, you've got a nice section from the Gospel of Luke, which is one of my favorite parts of the Bible, actually. I would say it's probably one of the more compelling Gospels if you really have to make a distinction between them. I like Luke a lot. No, I get what you're saying. So, yeah, it's nice to get some variety when you're reading Scripture. So I guess if you're bogging down, try a plan that bounces you around a little bit and see if you don't do better. That isn't a bad idea at all. And that's not just reference towards you, but obviously towards the listeners, too. Right, yeah, of course. The other interesting thing about the idea of blessings and curses as divine intervention is that they're not really just limited to scripture, you hear about them a great deal throughout Christian history, at least people calling down blessings and curses. Everything from traditional blessings in church services, the Lord be with you, and also with you, things that we have today. You know something? I want to stop you here again because there's something that happens in the modern world that I want to call out as dangerous. Mm -hmm. There are elements in Christianity out there, and I'm not going to name any names, but I'm sure you can think of a few when I say this, that will attempt to attribute every bad thing that happens to the wrath of God. There was a horrific natural disaster in X place. Well, let's go digging back through the history of X place and see if we can find something they did centuries ago that they deserve to be punished with whatever natural disaster happened for. Right. That's not a healthy or productive thing to do. And that seems to me, at least, to be inconsistent with the character of God as portrayed by Jesus in the New Testament. I completely, totally agree. And it's easy to ascribe bad things to God and good things to God and you just say, oh, well, the reason is this. That's exactly what WBC does. By WBC, do you mean the Westboro Baptist Church? Yes. Okay. I've seen a whole bunch of documentaries about them and interviews by them and reports on them because I did a report in college on... I forget exactly what it was, but I remember... They'll say, it's like, well, back in some time, these people used IEDs to try to blow up our church. 
And now that's what's killing soldiers in Iraq. It's obviously God's working. That's like saying, well, someone shot a gun at me once. So now everyone who gets shot by a gun is being smote by God. I don't really want to get into a discussion of that particular organization. I tend to experience the conversion of liquid to gas of my internal fluids, if you understand <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter, I tend to agree with you. There's definitely some danger in that idea that we can interpret every single thing that happens as a blessing or a curse from God. Well, it actually directly contradicts at least one piece of scripture, Matthew 5.45. Mm -hmm. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's true. It's very true. But at the same time, we do regularly ask for those blessings. When we pray every dinner, I sit down and say, Lord, bless this food. So it is something that we are also taught to ask for. As with most things, it's finding a balance and understanding the difference between them. The other interesting thing about blessings in particular is that throughout much of church history, we have this idea that you can get a blessing directly from people in the church hierarchy. We see this very commonly with people who meet with a bishop or the pope, and that's, I think, typically a Catholic thing. Maybe also Orthodox, but I'm really not at all familiar with the Orthodox Church. I apologize. Maybe one of our Orthodox listeners can fill us in there. But it is something that exists, and existed throughout much of church history. Likewise, there are curses that happen throughout Christian history. Maybe most obviously you have plagues on Egypt, punishment under the laws of the Torah, but in latter-day times, excommunication, a common threat in the medieval age in particular, this idea that people could be cast out of fellowship of the church and essentially cast out from the church, the body of Christ, this incredibly and quite literally damning curse that a priest or anyone in the church hierarchy could call down on someone, the whole bell, book, and candle routine to curse them, usually until they repent, by which we mean did something that we wanted them to do. It started off early 1100s, 1200s as something that happened very, very rarely and was considered a very dangerous and radical step to take. And by the end of the 1200s, you have people excommunicating each other left and right, usually to everybody just sort of going, oh, all right, whatever. Funny how that works. Yeah, it's things will lose their impact over time. And I guess that was no exception. It's kind of grim to contemplate, though. It is grim to contemplate. But at the same time, there's a real idea that this was something that could be done and was a devastating curse. Lord, remember this person's sins and punish them for yeah them. i mean there are definitely still some who do it in modern culture but it's not the prevailing wind in the church and i'm grateful for that yeah obviously we're a podcast about role-playing games as much as anything else and let's be honest blessings and curses come up probably more in role-playing games than they do in scripture there's a lot of them especially in fantasy games but really anything supernatural tends to invoke this idea you have a blessing as some sort of bonus to your character or some sort of temporary effect. I mean, there's a bless spell in D&D. Doesn't get much more obvious than that. And likewise, there are curses, temporary effects with mechanical penalties. One thing that's interesting to me about this is 
a lot of the time the blessings and curses that you find in role-playing games bear very little resemblance, if any at all, really, to the ones that you find in scripture. Right. The ones in RPGs tend to just be buffs or debuffs as divine spells of some kind, at least in the D&D Pathfinder milieu. Yeah. Well, in video game milieu also. Yes. Yeah, that's an excellent point, actually. That's true. I think there's one point where it's not quite the same, and it's something you see a lot in video games especially, and fantasy literature is the idea of a cursed place or item. Yeah, but before we get into that, I want to finish the other point from earlier. One of the things that blessings and curses kind of tend to cover in scripture, as we talked about in the first part of this podcast, is lengthy stuff affecting a person, place, or thing's legacy. There are some exceptions, people just being spontaneously struck dead for spectacular acts of disobedience and stuff, but generally it's your descendants will have problems or they won't be as many or you might not experience prosperity that you would have otherwise or, you know. Hey, you know that huge trip I've been leading you on? You don't get to finish it because you messed up. Yeah, it's just been extended by 40 years, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> that's not easy to model in a gaming system because generally speaking... The entire campaign usually takes place in too short a period of time for biblical-style blessings and curses to have a direct effect on player characters anyway. Your group's long-running birthright campaign is probably one of the exceptions. You know what? Actually, anything that Grant's group does is an exception to this, but in most (laughs) role-playing groups... (laughs) That's true. Yeah, and there are games that model generational conflicts. You might see those. And certainly I think we have seen games that have cursed lineages or blessed lineages. Oh yeah, I'm descended from so-and-so, and that changes my character in one way or another. I think we've all seen that. Yeah. I'm thinking of the sorcerer in Pathfinder. I believe one of the bloodlines is sort of a divine chosen, sort of a blessed person. Mm -hmm. Then there is also the idea that... There's also cursed bloodlines in there where you could be from demons or infernals. Right. And in those cases, it's a direct descent concept. But I've seen something that your ancestors did. And so your entire line or your entire society has been laid waste and cursed. The tieflings. The tieflings are a common one. Yeah. There used to be a song out there on YouTube called The Good Tiefling. Okay. And one of the lines with it was, long ago my ancestors, they made a pact with the devil, but that was for the reasons and not mine. Sort of deal with the whole concept of how this curse, which has turned this race of people in D&D 4E, and before that with other things, but the point I'm driving at is the fact that the song was more written for 4th edition, and when they made Tieflings a front-of-the-book character class. Right, uh, player race, yeah. Player race, yeah. Player race, I'm sorry. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Look, I gotta get something out of the 90 bucks I dropped for the box set, all right? <laughs> oh, you poor I bought man. a PHB, flipped through it, turned around, took it back, got my money back. You know, I actually enjoyed 4th Edition for what it did, and this is a tangent. I'm glad that Watsy took the gamble that they did on it, even though it didn't pay off, because... I'm not cutting this out. That's fine. I'm glad that they took that gamble because Wizards, for all the flack we collectively gave them over 4th edition, was really the only company trying to reach out and grow the hobby by getting new people into the hobby. So, good on them for trying. I returned it not because I didn't think it had any redeeming value at all, but because I thought it was redundant with what I already have and wasn't going to be a whole lot of use to me. Yeah, that's fair. And I don't mind the model. My only complaint about the system, honestly, is that combat took forever. 
If they'd found a way to speed it up, I'd have been perfectly happy with it. My concern about it was the fact that everything played similar. You know, it's sort of like Savage Worlds in that regard for me. Mm-hmm. Because with Savage Worlds, everybody uses the same spells. It's all about giving them different flavor. You may have a wizard who shoots bolts of energy and somebody who has a ray gun and under the covers they're all using the bolt power but you're giving them different trappings true but and savage worlds is a really great system we've yeah. been using it to fantastic success in our friday night game for a while now yeah if they did not give things enough different trappings that were different enough that's a writing problem it's not really a system problem well, yeah, GURPS 4E works in much the same way, and so does the hero system. The yeah. thing that I want to say is, in Pathfinder, in 3.5, if I play a rogue, it feels different than playing a wizard. Period. In 4E, it did not. They all had the same thing, and I get what you're saying about generic systems, because the thing in generic systems, they don't come here and say, well, this is the wizard, and these are his powers. They're like, you create your class. So if the class you create is different than everyone else's, that's fine. That's that's not always true. I'm going to back Brandon up on this. D&D has a lot of kind of baked-in flavor. It does. And so it limits your palate more than helps your creativity, I think. Uh, yes. I mean, there's a very definite D&D flavor. If you sit down and say, hey, I want to play D&D, there's a definite setting concept that comes to mind there may be different specifics but it's a certain type of high fantasy typically and let me say this i'm not going to say that you can't use 4e to tell a great story i played a fourth edition game we told an amazing story i think we didn't get into combat once (laughs) yeah i'll tell you i told a terrible story and ran a terrible game with fourth edition but that was the first time i tried to run a game and good luck with that that often is difficult yeah it was bad but actually talking about D makes a great segue back onto topic because grant you wanted to talk about blessed and cursed locations yeah i did this is one of the things that i think is the least mechanical how many times have you seen a game where the goal of this particular adventure or the whole story is to break a curse or to free someone or something or some place from a curse not just games yeah i mean (laughs) myths like sleeping beauty where you have a princess who's laid under a curse no i mean that probably comes up about every other episode of like supernatural for instance Yeah. yeah that too and so it's an extremely common idea because There's something you have to do, and by doing that, you're automatically a hero. You've done something good. On the flip side, I want to add this before we get too farther in. While there are a lot of stories about going out and seeking to break a curse, there are other stories that are about going out and seeking a blessing for something. Yeah, it's a very similar idea, although that's usually a go get a blessing necessary to accomplish something else is how I've always sort of seen those stories. Yes, you want the blessing for the sake of doing something good with it. Right. It's an, I'm going to say it's an intermediate goal, not the end goal of a story. I would say it could be the end goal of the story for the fact that you're going out and you have to seek the blessing to remake this sword. You have to seek a blessing for prosperity of the game. Yeah, it's possible. I'm not saying that it's not wrong that people can't go out and they say, well, we have to break this curse, so we have to go out and find this blessing to break this curse. That happens a lot, too. <laughs> that does happen a lot, especially in D&D 
and other systems and games and stories where you somehow, well, we have a curse and we have a blessing and they're two equal and opposite forces that counteract each other and the end. I think it's right there in the spell description. The bless spell counters and dispels curses, things like that. Yeah, I think that actually is how it's worded. Did I spend too much time studying the 3-5 spell book? Maybe a little. Anyway, as a plot device, I think it's maybe the most interesting because it gives you so much freedom when it's not a mechanical effect, but rather it's, hey, here's something terrible that's happened to someone, something, someplace. Here's the problems it's causing, go deal with it, or these are the problems you're going to have along the way while you try and rid yourself of them. Um, And there may be all sorts of complicating factors. Like, if I remember correctly, didn't the Philistines or one of the other nations near Israel take the Ark of the Covenant for a period of time and eventually give it back because the Lord cursed their land and everybody who came near it? Yes, it was the Philistines, by the way. It's a very common concept. Something is missing from the land and needs to be replaced. We've taken something that doesn't belong to us. Indiana Jones and the Nazis opening the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones and the Nazis taking the Holy Grail. Yeah. We're trying to take the Grail out of this place and that's not going to be allowed. You're going to be punished for it. Great example, Last Crusade. Last Crusade with the whole thing about the choose wisely. What are you here for? Right. Yes, that's a good point. Well, most of these objects are basically cursed. Mm-hmm. One of them is blessed. Yeah. In a fantasy game, especially, there may be rites you have to do. Really, in scripture, there's rites, not in the sense of anything magical, but in the Old Testament especially, there are penitential offerings that were made to set yourself right with God. Again. All I'm thinking is a penitent man kneels. You're right. I mean, we're still on the last crusade kick. But that same concept, right, where it's, okay, I've sinned, and here is the offering that is designated in the law to essentially pay God back, as it were, for that particular sin. A right that's required to remove that curse from me. It's something that I think can be interesting to play with. Getting those particular items, of course, can be a whole adventure in and of itself. When we're talking about stories... You guys brought up that a lot of objects and things like that aren't how curses actually worked in the Bible. And a lot of times, such objects are placed in there not to be a representation of actual curses, but the effects of what our own nature does when things happen. So a lot of times, the curses in there are set out to be more metaphors than actual objects such as the ring from Lord of the Rings, was a metaphor for power. Point in fact, the ring in Lord of the Rings. As I know has been pointed out a whole lot of times, that story is about power. Mm -hmm. And what power can do to a person. And so in order to do it, they had this ring that had this really nifty power, but it corrupted you, like power does in the real world. The one ring is sort of the model for all of this. It is the model for intelligent items and things like that, And the reason it makes a good model is that it's really universal. You just switch out a couple different things. Right. And that is a lot of what you see when you get into heavier writing is the things you're writing about aren't what you're writing about. You're writing about five different things at once on three different levels. Oh, yeah. Always good to use an item like that or a a curse like that as a metaphor for whatever you're trying to write a metaphor for at that time. You know, I'd actually like to linger on this point a little bit longer and pick Brandon's brain some more if he's willing. I am willing. Do you have any specific advice for making that work in games or stories that you're creating? 
I mean, the One Ring is a great example, but how would you go about actually setting that up in something original that you're doing? First, I'd have to get what sort of thing are you looking to portray as a metaphor? How about people's tendency to be impatient with each other? All right, so impatience. This is a little bit of a tricky thing. It would take some time to just 100% knock it out of the park. But what I would do is I would delve into the causes and the effects of impatience. This is also where you also have to make sure that you understand the thing that you are going for. Because I wouldn't be able to fully represent it in a story because I don't understand. What effects does impatience have on the lives of people? I'll use myself as an example. It tends to make us angrier than we need to be. It tends to occasionally override our good judgment and make us do unpleasant things in a impulsive or rash way. It keeps us from developing things that are worthwhile as much as could be or enjoying things that require a little bit of time investor to get into. There's a lot of stuff that it'll do to kind of make your life less pleasant than it would otherwise be. I would probably model that as addiction because a lot of the things you're saying also go with what happens when someone becomes too addicted to a substance. I know a little bit about impatience. It makes people irritated. It slowly builds. So I would definitely say that the curse or the object would have something that slowly built okay. that was going to explode. So keep using this thing and it kind of bombs you in some way eventually? Or? Maybe instead of making Frodo more wanting to put on the ring, it makes him more angry and willing to burst out, lash out at the people who are coming around him. It makes him draw away from them more and makes him not want to stop and get okay. it but it's going to slowly burn him out. And it's something that is, again, building and building and building. I can see that. Does that answer your question? I like your addiction metaphor, and it seems like you could use something that is really expedient and you feel kind of like a relief when you use it because it's like, oh, thank goodness, that obstacle just vanished. But it becomes more and more tempting to use this thing to remove whatever obstacle it is, and you start leaning on it more and more and more, and pretty soon it's just a knee-jerk thing. Let's unpack this a little bit further. Let's say we're doing like a modern urban fantasy campaign or something. Well, see, it all depends on the systems. Yeah. For me, I think basically in Pathfinder, which is would be a series of will saves. Yeah, I could... Well, actually, a lot of systems have like a willpower check. Yeah. So I could see something that kind of... It ratchets it up by like one level of difficulty every time you use it to have this thing make you essentially explode at people around you and then yeah. maybe it resets back down to the lower level or one higher than the original starting point and starts building again it's slow you need this you need this you need this bam and when you fulfill it it just gets you deeper in the other thing is is that you can sort of start taking control away from a player character mm. which is something that that's something you want to be kind of careful with though isn't it not necessarily because the one thing i have noticed is Unless Frodo was really into character, he wouldn't have really fallen like he did at the end of the movie. He would have been like, oh, I'm putting the ring away, and I'm doing all this. And I've sort of noticed that tendency, at least in a lot of my players, is that they don't want the bad things to happen because they want to succeed. Right. They want to be good. And the best moments are when I can get them to make a bad choice. Like, in the most recent game I had in my Saturday game, there was a problem where this woman was kidnapped. And she got visited by these cursed artifacts that have basically been hounding the players since the beginning of the game. They started in the possession of two players who have left the game. And sort of, when they left the game, it sort of was revealed 
that these things are not good. Okay. And they've been showing up from time to time for different party members, especially those who are new to the party. There was a point which two people were separated from the party, and they discovered these artifacts. And of course, they had no clue what they were. The rest of the party was kind of flipping out because they knew, and it had quieted everyone down. But the thing is, she found it, she was in this tight position, and I had tempted her with power, which is what these things did. Basically, I gave her two effective spellcasting levels for binding both of them. Okay. One for each item. And then the sword, which is one of the items, basically started talking to her, telling her that if she gave over control of herself, or if she let him help, he would get her out of this situation that she was in. She was kidnapped by forces that didn't really want to do her harm, but they weren't really good, and they were going to do nothing to stop the harm that was going to come to the rest of the party. And the sword basically said, if you give yourself to me, if you let me in and let me help, I'll get this done. And she said, okay, but... And I said, you don't get to finish that sentence. You said, okay, you gave in to this evil thing. And I basically sort of described to her the scene that played out because she had willingly given herself over to this dark influence that she knew was dark. And she gave herself over to it to just get out. And it was a good sort of reason why she was doing it, but it led her to do the wrong thing. And so that's the sort of control I would take away from the character. The other thing is, like with cursed items and things like that, is a lot of times they have a issue where the person who's holding it can't put it down. And that is in the item description. And that's the sort of control you want to have. It. It's hard to turn away from something like that. Right. I mean, we have the hindsight in role-playing games of 2020. We are not in the moment. Like, if this character dies, it is not the end of the world. I can make a new one. Yeah, we have the benefit of being able to be very detached. Mm-hmm. And so that is what cursed items and things like that tend to model with the idea of in some of them you have to make will saves to not draw the weapon like i'm gonna go draw my short sword no you draw the cursed dagger Mm. like your hand went to draw the short sword but somehow you have the cursed dagger in your hand because it's their body doing something subconsciously they are losing control of themselves to this evil they are playing the good parts of themselves that has to overcome this evil. I like that that's really good yeah (laughs) thanks brandon that was very helpful and very useful and i'll probably use that <laughs> well it's not really me that's pathfinder that's D that has existed in the rules since i know about it yeah but that's also your specific storytelling knowledge worked in so <laughs> i appreciate it i'm just explaining what they did <laughs> still helpful <laughs> still helpful yep all right all right we have a couple last little things that it looks like you grant wanted to touch on before we wrap this one up yeah i did want to touch on one thing real okay. quick first of all we've been talking about blessings in kind of two different ways mostly when we talk about in-game effects we tend to talk about them as immediate and obvious some of what brandon was just talking about is not as immediate the workings of god are much more subtle in many cases that's why we have cliches like a blessing in disguise yeah it's not always obvious when something is good or bad which is one of the reasons to get back to what we talked about before immediately saying this is god punishing this is god blessing and you know trying to categorize every single thing immediately is so dangerous is it doesn't give god's plan time to work right so just be aware of that difference especially in a setting or a system where there are these immediate here's a blessing poof i've cast the bless spell or i cast the curse spell whatever be aware of that difference and make sure to treat them differently well i kind of want to hit 
this one thing here. This is a topic that I put on our little outline of topics that I don't know if we'll ever actually get to. Mm -hmm. The blessings and curses that we throw around and we say, oh, those are a little minor. Well, they are, because they're not really coming from God. They're coming from a player using their little sliver of divine power to give a blessing or a curse on someone. Right. That's a very good point. God is not balanced for Dungeons and Dragons. No, certainly not. not. No. (laughs) (laughs) Or anything for that matter. God is God. God is the DM saying a lightning bolt falls out of the sky and strikes you before an elephant and a jumbo airplane hits you. I know we're in Forgotten Realms. (laughs) That's how much God doesn't like you, right? He put in a jumbo airplane. That is God. There is no balancing for God and for the actual divine might. That is only handled by the fiat of the GM saying, you have angered a deity. This deity is taking away this from you. Or you have pleased this deity. This deity is doing this to you. It will completely break the game or possibly completely totally break the game. Maybe forever, maybe for a very small time because God has come down and touched you. And you are now something different. You are better because he has put part of him in you. Or maybe you're worse because he's made sure that he's cursed you with his divine gaze. And that sounds like the perfect place to wrap this one. I agree. I finally did one! (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Yeah. Find us on all of our usual social media spots. Yep. If you're just tuning into us for whatever reason, head out to our website for all of our past episodes, savingthegamepodcast.org. Don't be afraid to check out the Crossover Nexus as well, crossovernexus.com and enroadsministries.com, which is one of our partner sites. We're on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, you know, the usual places. Yeah, we even have a Steam group. I just remembered that this week. Yeah. Go figure. I haven't been there in a while because I haven't really been playing Steam games lately. So it goes. Yeah, and I rarely play multiplayer <laughs> yeah. stuff. But from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Peter will have seen some of you at Fear the Con, and hopefully you have all given him embarrassingly large bear hugs. <laughs> I'll settle for a handshake if that's more your speed. Bear Believe hug. me. Bear hug. Be bear hug. All right. <laughs> I take comfort in knowing that this will air after yes. the con. Certainly if you're a man shirtless, just like take off your shirt and just hug him and rub all over him. Look, the goal is to embarrass Peter as much as possible. That's really what we're after, right? Re- remember what I said about driving to Maryland with a sharpened <laughs> stick? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not all that far from Maryland to South Carolina in the grand scheme of things, is it? All right. <laughs> Good point. He's going to he's going to hit both of our houses, you watch. All right. From all of us here, have a good one and we'll catch you next time. Take care everybody. See ya. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.